Hello. I'm back. I'm back from a two-week hiatus. Uh, the, and, and if you don't know it yet, this is the most interesting topic in the room. And I've been gone for two weeks, and now I'm back. Very, very excited about that. Uh, the world looks different. Uh, I am refreshed. Vacations are good. World travel is the best. If you can make that happen, it is, uh, it's worth all the time and effort. Even though I can say the, the jet lag, uh, the jet lag coming home is always really harsh. And it did not, uh, it did not disappoint this time either. And uh, I also got sick right in the midst of all that. So that was good. But today is the first day that I am feeling back to normal and uh, having gone to work and done a whole normal day of work, uh, I think I'm through the jet lag. As I have always said, when you're flying like that, you fly, I mean, we're half a world away. Uh, the first day you get home, your body is somewhere you know, like a third of the way or a quarter of the way from where you were. It's slowly traveling through space and time back to where you actually are. And eventually it gets home, arrives with you, but the jet planes leave the body behind. Maybe it's an astral body. Maybe it's a, it's a, Maybe it's just, you know, the, the memory of your body, but it's left back there. Your, your brain and your body cannot deal with the, the reality of how fast a jet can move you through time and space, which is something I'll get to in a bit. Okay, so most interesting topic today, uh, I was in Italy, and I'm going to talk about Italy for, I think, you know, a few episodes. But this particular episode, uh, I'm just going to uh, freeform it a bit around certain observations I had about tourists and tourism. Um, there's plenty to say about Italy. I've been there two times. I am in love with that country. I've only been uh, to, in the north, and I've been to uh, Tuscany, and I'm in love with Tuscany, and it just everything about Italy with the food and the people and the food and the wine and the people and the food and pretty much the food and the walking and the history and everything. Good God, the art, just everything about it is intoxicating and lovely and wonderful. But interesting thing is tourism. Tourism is a very strange phenomenon, quite honestly. I know it's been going on. You can, we can point back to the grand tour of what the aristocracy was pulling off back in the day in Europe, going all the way around the continent in a giant circle and staying in all the capitals. And you know, the wealthy were able to do that. And, and, and we, we today have the ability to be tourists in a way that's never happened before. You know, over the past few decades, it's been developing substantially but you know, today it's kind of it's it's metamorphosized into something so much bigger than one could ever imagine uh, it's overwhelming and it overwhelms communities it's a strange thing to be in italy 
and see communities getting overwhelmed by visitors. And I've seen this in different places. You can see it in, in Southeast Asia. You can see it all over. One of the weird things, though, you know, so here I am in the United States. I was just thinking about this today. I don't see it happening here. You know, I mean, there's a reason why. But imagine this, Americans. Imagine this, a small town in Kansas that, for some reason, has a historical attraction on a level that people from all over the world travel to the United States in order to go, you know, to this town. And it's a small town, but you've got you've got all the, you've got this interest and over time you know at first it's just a little bit of interest and then the locals are like oh this is kind of cool we can make some money people want to see this thing or whatever we don't understand but that's fine and they start to accommodate that and people start to make money and the hype grows and people start coming in and they're coming in and they're coming in to the point that at a certain level the number of tourists overwhelms the local populace and the tourists become the entire identity of that town that place like the identity of the town dies and it becomes a place for tourists catering to tourists and it its only purpose is for tourism so you don't see that in the united states um partly because there's no you know i mean if the united states was full of tuscany <laughs> with all the history and all that beauty, um, there certainly would be people coming to the towns if they were ancient stone towns and had, you know, centuries behind them. That would be happening. But we don't have anything like that here. Uh, and what history we do have, uh, as particularly with architecturally, there's been the trend in the United States of always looking to the future, so we just rip everything down and have, we hold no value to the past whatsoever. Always moving forward, always looking forward. And, uh, you know, so many times that continues to bite us in the butt and it will continue to do so in the future. I can see that already. <laughs> Never learn your, from your mistakes. You're always going to, you're doomed to repeat them. But anyway, in uh, Europe, you know, in Italy, you've got this other situation. You've got towns that are have been around for centuries and now we have tourists and tourists want to see new things we want to see new things and this is what i was noticing so uh, i spent some time in montepulciano which is a very lovely hill town in tuscany it's a bit off the beaten path there is no train stop near the near that town you got to take a taxi you got to take a bus you got to get yourself out there and so that has helped protect it from the hordes, from the masses. Way across the valley, way across the valley is Cortona. And the train stops right at the base of Cortona. And Cortona is overrun with hordes of people, understandably. So I'm in Montepulciano, my friends that I was traveling with, which, by the way, let's give props to the, the team that uh, we had, uh, a six-person team of fun, traveling, uh, old friends, celebrating uh, a wonderful birthday for a really good person, and uh, it was incredibly satisfying for all of us. 
And what can he say when six people are traveling together and there are no problems whatsoever? The only problem is that we're laughing so hard that we're crying and uh, our stomachs hurt. Um, a great trip to, to share with those folks. So a couple of my friends who orchestrated this entire thing, they've been going to Monte Pulciano for uh, about 10 years now on work work-related uh, sessions. This is the first time they got to go there without uh, on vacation. But what was interesting was their reaction to the changes that have been going on in Montepulciano. They haven't been there in two years, and there were a lot of noticeable changes. Um, tour groups with, uh, you know, a, a tour leader with a flag... Uh, which is ubiquitous in a number of places. This did not ever exist in Montepulciano, so now we've got uh, tours showing up and, you know, 20, 30 people following uh, a tour leader. That blew my buddy's mind. And uh, another new facet is a tour bus, essentially. It's kind of like a... I don't even know how you describe it. It's just a little... A little a little tour car you can put i don't know 10 people in it and it's funny looking <clears throat> but they you know you get on get off kind of thing and it goes on and it goes in a circle it does the whole round i think there's 40 sites that it stops at in this little tiny town which on the one hand, it's great for older folks because this uh, the hill towns are all cobblestone. They're all old. They're all built on the top of a hilltop, and all the roads are uh, steep. It's tough walking around, and if you had any health issues or you're uh, an elder who had mobility issues, you wouldn't be able to go to this place and enjoy it. You just you can't get around. But here you get this little tour thing. You can get in it, and it'll take you around. You can see stuff that you'd never be able to see. So from that perspective, I give it props. But it was a big change. That didn't exist two years ago. So the volume of people is increasing, and you've got um, this two little tour car bus. And what was interesting about that was uh, we had dinner with a friend, uh, uh, my friend's friend who lives there, and she was saying, you know, here's the inside scoop on this whole thing. <clears throat> the, uh, the city came to the people and asked for a vote, and what they wanted to vote on, what the people voted on was, there are a number of buses now coming to the town. The bus station sits at the base of the hill outside the walls. So you get a lot of people, you get dropped off at the bus station, and the only way you can go into the town is you have got to walk in and walk all the way up the hill to the Piazza Grande before you can, you know, get in there. So in order to accommodate older folks, the idea was we will create, we will fund a, uh, a little, uh, you know, a little relay bus. You can get off the big bus, get on this little trans transporter, and they will drive you up to the Piazza Grande and drop you off. And that is what it is for. So they voted yes on that. What they got, and I don't know how this happens, but it's funny, what they got was a tour company 
that will take you all the way around the town and, and what I just described. You get in this thing and it's a tour car. It doesn't have anything to do with taking people from the bus station up into town at all. It's its own thing all of a sudden. And now that it's there, it's there. And it's one of those things. People are not happy with the leadership for throwing that on uh, on the town unexpectedly. That's not what we voted yes for. But it's fascinating. And that's a part of this puzzle. The, the tourist puzzle is that when people start to express interest as tourists and the volume starts to increase, you're getting money flowing into the town. And a lot of these towns, whatever their industry was or or is, it's uh, died off or it was, it's been in stasis for a long time. You know, it only supports so much money. So my friends were noticing there's all these new businesses open. There's all these storefronts that have opened up, you know, so there's more development going on more people are able to make money. Is, and that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. You want people to flourish. You want people to make money. So if you love a place, you want you want the people that you meet there to do well. You want them to be able to support their families. You want that. You want their business to be. If you if it's a good business, and you go there and you like it, you want it to be there so that if you ever return, that you can go back and and enjoy again. So, I'm down with that. But there's the catch-22 of local leadership who have ultimately typically have the most vested interest in the financial outcomes of the town, have investments in different scenarios that they've got going on, that money is increasing, and they start to see like, all right, okay, so people are coming, you know, so we want to accommodate that and we want to make it easier for them to spend money. Then, you know, this is a slippery slope. There's a seesaw here, you know, like ultimately the goal would be to be able to stand in the middle of the seesaw and keep it balanced. Don't let it go one way or the other. You know, one side is nobody's making any money, nobody's coming to town and the town's poor. And the other side is you've lost your town to tourists and there's nothing left. So ideally, you want to keep it in the middle so that you still have a town that has an actual identity, that has locals that live there, that has a a functioning, vibrant life that can accommodate people who want to visit and dip in and enjoy uh, what that town has to bring, get a taste of that life. But it's a slippery slope. That seesaw is always moving and it's very difficult and you got a lot of different interests and a lot of different people who are, you know, putting a little weight on one side, you know, if the money starts to come in, they want to put the weight a little more on the, the, the money side. Like, all right, let's get more tourists in here. What can we do to get more people in? I'm sure that the folks in Montepulciano are looking across the valley way over there to Cortona and seeing an enormous amount of money. And so they're starting to tap that well a bit. And you can see it. Now I've only been there this one time. So for me, it didn't there was it was for me, quite honestly, it was pretty quiet. Quiet town. It was very nice. It was a good place to go and relax. For my friends, they could see a bit of bustle and hustle kicking in, and it was a little distressing for them. You know, like, oh, a town's changing. And our, our local contact definitely expressed that. Town is changing. 
and it's going to keep going. And in the next couple of years, you might not recognize things. It's catch 22. I mean, really, um, when I went to Venice, uh, it was pretty obvious that, you know, I'm in the midst. I'm in the mass. I tried really hard to stay out of the the out of the masses and not purchase the, the the tourist crap that they're pushing that everybody's selling the same thing i really was trying to engage with the locals and um i was relatively successful with that and you know i mean your, your money is power in a to a certain degree what you choose to spend your money on and how you spend it determines a lot of different kinds of outcomes now, I, you know, we can go around and around about uh, me being a hypocrite <clears throat> based on different scenarios. Getting on a plane and flying, is that a, a, uh, is that a decision that has a positive outcome? <sighs> yes and no, <laughs> obviously. But anyway, so, so. Let's get back to the most important thing here, the topic at hand, which is uh, Monte Pulciano is on the brink of a possible breakout. And here's another another factor that goes on beyond just the locals trying to attract people. The mentality of tourists is, is fascinating. Um, tourists, typically those who are out there doing a lot of traveling, they want to find the most authentic place. They want to find the place that hasn't been discovered yet. And I can see that happening. It's just the first vestiges of the next layer of tourists, you know, where the tour groups are showing up. But Monte Pulciano is, is attractive because it's not Cortona. It's not overloaded. It's, it's not any of that. But you're seesawing with it, you know, like, okay, so now you got, <clears throat> now you got tour groups coming in. That's going to change the volume. That's going to alter the fabric of the town. And at a certain point, you get multiple tour groups winding around those little streets, clogging everything up. And, and it's going to be really noticeable. And it could kill the town. You just don't, you know, you don't know. The only thing going for Monty is that it is off the beaten path and there isn't a direct train stop and you really got to work for it. And there's only so many buses that can get out there and so many spaces for a bus to park. So it's a little bit protected. Uh, I hope to go back and visit one day. I very much fell in love with that town and um, there's plenty of wine to drink. The Vino Noble, my friends. The Vino Noble. Very, very wonderful. So let me... I have one thing I want to offer <clears throat> from this trip. Well, I've got lots. But right now, what I want to say is... In my uh, first episode, second episode, can't remember... I was talking about British travelers in Thailand. And my buddy called me out on this a bit. He felt I was being a bit too harsh uh, and judgmental on the Brits. 
And, uh, you know, I took that into account and I was thinking about that. And, and I had to say, you know, as far as my experience in Thailand back in the day with what I was seeing and hearing, I, I'm sticking to my guns. It, I found it offensive and it wasn't, it wasn't extremely cool behavior. And there was a trend. It wasn't just one person. It, it was multiple different Brits in multiple different days, multiple different places, multiple different situations. So I saw a tendency. But <clears throat> let me say this. There was an interesting occurrence that happened in Monte Bolgiano. My friends and I were having lunch, sitting outside, and at the table just uh, next to us was a gi gigantic group of British folk, a family. And... Um, there were a lot of them, and uh, some food came out, and then uh, the waiter came out right after, not too long, 10 minutes, and a woman uh, kind of went at him about, uh, you know, what's going on with the food. We've got some food on the table, and the rest of it hasn't been brought out. He reacted, uh, the Italian waiter reacted uh, kind of defensively and didn't yell but you know was uh, abrupt and turned around and walked away um and the whole scene was heated the <clears throat> uh, people just the way that this woman brought it on was uh, was an attack she she kind of came in on the attack a little too aggressive the waiter responded defensively and probably responded a little too aggressively back and then there's this explosion that occurs. And then, you know, you got the staff, other staff coming out. And then people, you know, like, I don't know, the Brits were apologizing. So then it was kind of coming off as passive aggressive. And it was a, just the whole scene. But what I got out of this was a moment to reflect and to sit back and think about what am I hearing right now? What is my reaction to all this? And I can say... It gave me pause around my perception of what was going on in Thailand back in 2006. And I can't go back and, you know, re-experience those, those events in order to really know. But in this case, in Montepulciano, I had a bit of a different perspective. Um, my friends and my party were, were, you know, they'd listened to my podcast. So they were instantly were like, whoa, hey this is that thing you were talking about. Listen to that. Like, they're being very rude. Um, but I wasn't sure that they were. Um, it made me think about something. When, I mean, on the one hand, what I think occurred across the board here was a, a cultural clash. I think what happened was the British folks... Ha, br they brought their expectation of food service to the table that all the food's going to come out at once in a certain way and it didn't happen because uh, this restaurant was super busy and it wasn't you know it, it wasn't bad service uh they just happened to have this one order get a little wonky and some of the plates came out at different times. Okay. 
So that's going on. The Italian waiter reacting the way he did, uh, he was uh, he was making the argument that if you want quality food, then you have to give us time to, you know, you got to have give time for that. Basically, relax, sit back. Why are you hassling me? So his cultural expectations were uh, definitely being challenged. So so there's this schism between expectations, and it's definitely cultural. It made me wonder, like, what are the what's what's normal for these British folks back home? But then the other thing that I personally found the most interesting, which was my own reaction, is as I'm listening to the British folks talking, I realized that their accent in and to an American ear to an American ear a British an English accent of a certain type sounds very similar to the way a stereotypical rich American New Englander sounds so that uh, stereotype of a rich, snobby, hoity-toity voice. Uh, an English accent of a certain type sounds exactly like that. And it made me realize that while these folks, to me, to my American ear, it sounded like they were being condescending and that it sounded like they... That it, they sounded as if they were entitled, and they sounded as if they were um, condescending to everyone around them. What I realized was what they were saying didn't have anything to do with how their voices, how their accents sounded to my ear. And it made me think and step back and wonder if between the uh, the all the experiences I, I had in Thailand, between the cultural expectations of a traveler not being met or running into the local cultural expectations and and colliding, and the the accent, it made me wonder if actually maybe I wasn't hearing people being colonial and condescending. Maybe I just have an American ear, and this particular accent triggers me to think that if someone sounded like that in the United States, they would be a condescending, rich bastard who thinks that they're better than you. And I realize that I think that might be a part of the problem. (laughs) In my perception of uh, some of the stuff that went on in Thailand. Now, I can't be sure about that. I did see some very rude people. And this experience in Monte Pulciano was uh, not, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't the best, you know. Nobody on either side really came out clean on that. Uh, I think the, the Brits could have just chilled out a bit and stepped back and it would have been just fine. But Thank God they had that explosion because I was sitting there and I got to just go through my whole analysis that I just laid out for you and think about this and had a had an epiphany, a bit of an epiphany that uh, my baggage, 
my cultural baggage was sitting at the same table as the Brits' cultural baggage uh, around the food and the Italians' cultural baggage around being uh, pestered by tourists. Or... It's fascinating. We're all sitting there, and we're all coming at things from a different angle. And God knows how it's going to turn out. Wars have been fought over less. People have died because of misunderstandings like that. Thank God we're just people hanging out. So... <clears throat> so we got tourism, we got people running around, we've got collisions of cultures. Uh, I, we, I, so I am still uncertain where I fall on all this. I'm a traveler by heart. I'm a traveler by experience. I'm going to travel more. I'm trying not to engage in the most crass commercial aspects of tourism, trying not to go to the most over-touristed places, um, trying to spend my money wisely, let my money be power, act in a, a responsible manner in the world, and not be a demanding tourist. Here's a little fun fact, and this is entirely a biased statement. Not my own statement, but... Um, we were in Florence, and the uh, uh, host for the this apartment that we were staying in, she, as we were leaving, I was talking with her, and it had been a very busy weekend. It was a holiday weekend in Italy, and Florence was full of Italian tourists, and she was talking about, they've been having some tourist problems in Florence, apparently, um, but... And that's another story that I'll get into momentarily. But she made the statement that uh, there were all these people in and everybody. and But the, the Italians, tourists, are the worst. They're the worst. They're so demanding. <laughs> so she was apparently being kept up at all hours. She's just a person who lives in an apartment in this building who, um, on the one hand, is gracious enough to help the, build, the, 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 the apartment owner who rents apartments out. I'm sure she gets paid a bit, but she's just, you know, letting people in the building and getting them into the apartments and then managing you know, the people who come in to clean. She's just, this is just a side thing for her. She just is a nice person. But the Italians apparently were calling her at all hours and being very demanding and wanting all these different things as if they were in a hotel and she was very put out by it. But her statement that Italian tourists are the worst, I thought was fascinating. I would have no idea. I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know that that's true across the board. I have a feeling that it was just it happened to be that weekend. And maybe it was in Florence. And maybe God knows what it is. Maybe it's just in their own country. I don't know. But I thought that was fascinating. The other Here's another tourist story. Uh, so our host, when we came in, she showed us her apartment and you know, gave us the tour and then, uh, and then, uh, she talked quite a bit. She enjoyed talking to us and gave us, uh, a lot of information. But the first thing she laid in was the, the, she kept apologizing to us because the people the night before, the people who, they didn't stay in our apartment, but an, uh, an adjacent one, the people the night before had just made a wreck of the building. 
<clears throat> there were beer bottles in the in the hallway, beer bottles in the stairwell. Beer had been spilled all over the stairs, and they'd gone in, and they had to doing this deep clean on the apartment and in the building. And it's crazy. This is a building that people live in. It just so happens that a number of the apartments are being Airbnb'd or rented out on different platforms. But this is a, a living, people live in this building. This is an apartment building that people live in. And then you got some tourists. Now, apparently, in her experience, young people today are drinking far too much. And uh, particularly the folks from Northern Europe, from Nordic Europe. She was calling, calling the Nords out. You guys up there, you're drinking way too much when you're on vacation in Italy. Be cool, people. Be cool. They, uh, the, this group of people, they were in for a wedding, apparently. Um, and they had this really nice, beautiful rooftop terrace with a view of the Duomo in Florence. And, I mean, if you know anything about Florence and the skyline, and, and if you've got a place that you can sit there and dig that i mean wow we and by the way we happen to have a view like that and wow awe-inspiring lucky awe-inspiring but uh these folks were just partying and there was right outside her bedroom window too it was really bad she had i guess three nights in a row of horrendousness where they just drank themselves into oblivion they're screaming they're shouting they're you know like they're going absolutely batshit crazy and not being cool at all. Didn't care. You know, she was asking them, why would you come here and not not care about where you're at? And they're like, well, it doesn't matter. We're just here for a wedding. We're just here to party. We do not care where we're at. So it was an unfortunate series of events for her. But it is fascinating. Another aspect of people bringing their cultural baggage with them. Um... Uh, it is a big now okay so it's been 12 13 years uh when i was in prague it was a big problem i was hearing about this big problem in prague that there were airlines doing direct flights from london from uh, london england different english cities direct into prague and the big thing is english people coming in for long weekend uh particularly groups of guys renting a, a place and then spending four days nonstop inebriated out of their brains from dawn to till you know dawn to dawn, <laughs> and creating a huge social problem in Prague because it, the it's out of hand. You know, like they're coming in to party on an extreme level and raise hell in another country and another city. And I, I mean, I, that's not travel. I don't get that. And that's what uh, our host was saying is ha starting to happen in Florence in the summer is that there's a lot of people coming in from other countries and they're coming in to party and there's this party culture going on. And she laid the finger on young people. Young people today, just they don't have a focus, you know. I mean, the way she sees it, they're... They're lost, they have no respect for themselves, and they have no respect for others. And alcohol is uh, a crutch that they're using to whatever. This is, the, this is a thing they're doing. And she saw it as a, as a uh, 
a personal failing. Now, I, I give them some props that they're young, and in my time with my friends, you know, as she was saying these things, my friends and I, we're all middle-aged and we're all well-adjusted. But we were kind of looking at each other and the looks we had with each other were, we've done that. <laughs> we were those kids back in the day, <laughs> uh, obnoxious and partying and, you know, we were into our own world. But at the same time, being a traveler, I don't, I don't have any experiences I can think of where I was... Uh, in another country being ragingly obnoxious and not caring whatsoever about the people around me. You know, be a good steward of your culture. Be the ambassador of your country. Because when you go somewhere, you are the ambassador for your country. And however you act, the locals are going to look at you and go, is this what they're like? And then uh, if there's a bit of a trend and enough of you act that way, you're you're going to be labeled outright. Can't stand the English people. They just drink, and they don't care. Uh, you know, Norway, Norwegians, what's wrong with you people? You drink too much. You come to our country, and you make a mess. You drop beer bottles all over the hall, and you dump beer everywhere, and you don't care. That's not very nice. Anyway, this is, this is what I have to say. Tourists, come on, people. Let's... Uh, Take it easy. It's hard enough uh, getting the money together to travel. It's an amazing thing that you would take all of that resource and time and energy and uh, you know and the money, put it into going somewhere and and then just bring your world with you and not care whatsoever about where you're going. I don't care if you're going to a wedding. It's an opportunity. You know, to each their own, but this is the way I look at the world. Be a good steward of the uh, environment around you, wherever you happen to be. You know, especially if you're in another country. I mean, you just don't need to piss the locals off. What is the point of that? Anyway, how you could be in Florence and not care is beyond me. Florence is one of the most beautiful cities on earth, full of amazing architecture and chock full of art. And um, that Duomo, boy, I got to tell you, there is nothing like that structure. I'm going to do some more talking of, uh, in, 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 in probably the next episode about the uh, details of stuff I saw and why I moved. Um, but uh, Brunelleschi's Dome is a sight to see. And again, here I am. I'm like, ah, you know, you should go see it. You should go there. At the same time, I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I'm, I'm riding my own seesaw. How much is, how much is too much advocacy for tourism? How much is too little? I mean, I, I, I think people should go places if they can, in order to be changed by the experience. I think that's the key: being respectful and being open and being present. And I saw a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, I'm not going to lay down a, a stereotype on Chinese people or Asians, but there is a tendency that I've seen in multiple locations in Europe for a large group of Asian folks, if you're in a gallery, say this, you're in a, you're in a room in a museum in a gallery and a large number of Asians comes in 
I have been knocked out of the way. I have been jostled. Um, I have been, you know, I've had people step in front of me in order to take selfies of the, you know, of themselves in front of a painting and just a lot of rude behavior. <clears throat> and it's tended toward uh, Asian folks. Now, this I know. This is a cultural thing. There's an, a, a, a lack of understanding for how, um, what a Western expectation is for uh, personal space, how you act in a gallery, what's appropriate behavior uh, amongst the other patrons and amongst the artwork. It's not just Asian people jumping in front of people and taking selfies and knocking people out of the way. I've had other people do that as well, but there's a tendency right now. There's like a trend and you can see that happening. And I, I find it fascinating. I don't know if they're Chinese. I don't, I don't know if they're Japanese. I don't know what it is. Korean. I don't know, but it, it's a thing and you can witness it. It's there. So, um, I, I particularly have a problem I don't like to be knocked out of the way by anybody, but the, the this goes to the tourist piece. And this is a cultural thing, and this is a contemporary cultural thing, the selfie. The selfie is such a weird phenomenon. I don't get it. I do not have a clue what it means. Why people are, would run up to a famous thing, turn their backs to it, stick their camera in the air, smile or do whatever pose get the picture and then and then run away then that's happening i'm seeing that happen it is the most bizarre thing i i guarantee i'm old but i also have a great uh respect for art and one of the things that is extremely annoying to me is to be standing in front of something beautiful and awe-inspiring and ancient and old, and you're taking it in and having young people come up and basically get in front of you between you and what you're observing, turn their backs to it and take a selfie and then walk away and just leave. They didn't even look at it. They don't even look at, at the work and just go to the next thing and do the same thing. And then just collecting a bunch of photos of themselves in front of famous things. And I know they're posting this stuff online. I think that's fascinating. The motivation behind that activity is uh, vain, first of all. And uh, it's very strange. It doesn't, it's disconnected from reality. It really is about living a life online it's like saying I was here, you know, but I'm smiling at you. Hi, I'm cute. And I'm, you know, hey, the Mona Lisa is behind me, you know, birth of Venus here. I did it. I'm here. I don't get that. You're, it's a, it's like a, you know, bucket listing, checking a, a box off on a list, but you're in every single picture. Um, I saw this happening over and over. It was really astonishing to me that you, that people can not even look at something uh, like that. Just not take a moment to put their device down, 
turn their face to a painting and stand there for a while and, and take it in and see it with your own eyes. I mean, I was taking pictures of, of work, but it had more to do with, I stood there for a while I would take a picture of something if I really wanted to remember that I saw this. And then also, uh, I was taking pictures of details, you know, like there's a detail in this painting and I want to remember that and I'm going to study that. I'm going to go back. I'm going to look at this. And, you know, so I did, you know, it's, and I am not saying I, I do not get caught up in taking pictures. But I always have a moment where I step back and I think, okay, this device is between my eyes and the actual thing that I'm looking at. What is the purpose of this device? This device is here to act as an extended memory. So I can go home and go through these images and, and it will spark my memory back a bit and I will be able to remember more. And that is, that is, in my opinion, the only purpose that it serves, these devices, uh, memory extension, memory, a reminder. Um, I like to use it as a tool. Like I said, taking images in order to go back and do more study later, read about it, see some details that don't get picked up in reproductions. That was a big thing I was thinking about. It's like, there are fine details in these paintings that never get picked up in reproductions. I want to remember them. But I don't do selfies and I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I'm sure that a part of it is just a, a, an age thing. So that's the end of, uh, that's the end. How's that? I'm going to just sort of end this diatribe right there. Um, wish everyone a great day, wherever you are and however it is uh, turning out. Let's hope that this is the moment that the day gets better. Um, <clears throat> especially now that I'm going to be done talking to you, but I will be back. I have plenty more to say. This was just a, a little, a little touch, just a little light touch on this, uh, this thing, this trip that I just took. Um, I love Italy once again. Uh, thank you to all the Italians in the world. Uh, you've done well, very impressed. So go out. Uh, pet a small animal and be nice to people. Okay, people, I will be back in another week and I will be talking into your ear holes and you can't stop me. Bye. Bye.